and welcome to Myth Monsters. My name is Erin and I'll be your host for these little snack bite-sized podcasts on folklore and mythical monsters from around the world. These podcasts focus on the actual cryptids, folklore and mythic monsters from global mythology, rather than focusing on the full stories of heroes and their big adventures. I'll also be dropping in some references that they have to recent culture, and we can see these represented in modern day content so that you can learn more and get as obsessed as I am about these absolute legends of the mythological world. This week, we're heading back to my favourite mythos. Yes, that is the Greeks with the amazing talon-feathered ladies, the Harpy. The Harpy is generally described as a half-woman, half-bird wind spirit. Although there are two descriptions of them, this is the kind of baseline knowledge for what they are. In the original myths, Harpies had the heads of women, who looked incredibly gaunt, hungry and sad, with the bodies of an eagle with long talons. They were the size of generally a crouching adult, so they were pretty big, and they were able to snatch up people and animals alike. They had an ear-splitting screech that could summon their sisters to their side, as harpies are also pack animals. They would also hang around in threes that are usually associated with carrion and death. Though in different tellings from different Grecian poets, we do get considerably different descriptions. Aeschylus called them disgusting in this lovely extract that I'll read you now. These are wingless in appearance, black, altogether disgusting. They snore with repulsive breaths. They drip from their eyes hateful drops. Their attire is not fit to bring either before the statues of the gods or into the homes of men. I have never seen the tribe that produced this company, nor the land that boasts of rearing this brood with impunity and does not grieve for its labour afterwards. Oh, it's so good. Virgil called them bird-bodied, girl-faced things, and Ovid described them as human vultures. These harpies truly were a sore sight though, and they were constantly hungry. They were always on the lookout for the next thing to eat. They were able to eat people, but they mostly fed on cattle, fish, or even vegetation. In fact, they were generally well known for having two main purposes in life. One was stealing food from their victims, and the other was to carry people to the underworld, and certainly not the good part of the underworld either. It was said that if someone went missing, they had been taken off by the harpies. So that's pretty intense. You can see where this is going. However, the vision of harpies did change over time, and the more modern adaptations also made their way into the core folklore. If you ask someone now what a harpy looks like, they'll probably describe this new version. This is of a half-bird, half-woman who is astonishingly beautiful and bewitches every creature they come into contact with with their incredible singing. They are usually humanoid in form, but the feathers acting as some kind of breezy underwear. But the way you could really tell that they were a harpy for sure is that they would have eagle feet, complete with finger-long talons for ripping flesh. Very much male gazed up, but this is the newer and, to be honest, more appealing description of the two. Now, I said earlier that they were wind spirits, so they're not just monsters, and I did want to touch a little bit more on this. They are meant to represent a force of destruction. They purely symbolise the dangerous parts of storm winds, which would then affect sailors or anyone living too close to the coast. 
where they tend to live and Greece is almost an archipelago so there's a lot of water there, a lot of islands. They eventually evolved from wind spirits to just kind of seductress birds, but they could still harness the power of the wind in their attacks and fly faster than most birds. So how do you kill a harpy if you bump into one, sexy or not? Like most birds, the answer is pretty simple. It's fire. You could take out a harpy though if you manage to strike its heart first, which would incapacitate it for a little while. Ridiculous, I know. Then you would have to set it on fire to finish her off, kind of like a vampire. Or you could just use a burning arrow. That works too. On to my favourite little segment, and that's etymology. The word harpy derives from the Greek word harpazine, meaning to snatch. So most of the time they are referring to them being snatchers or robbers, which they do in a couple of myths that surround them. It's a really cool word. I can't actually find it in Greek in any translation, so I'm probably not pronouncing it right, but you know what it is now. But most importantly, let me tell you about where they came from first. It's said that the harpies were born from the sea god Thaumus and the oceanid Electra, but some stories say that they were fathered by Poseidon. But at this point with Greek mythology, who knows? Also, due to the whole wind spirit thing going on, they were also potentially considered the children of the wind, which is the god Aeolus, who had four gods serving below him as the Ammoni, each set to a cardinal directions. There was god of the north, the south, the east and the west winds. But the most famous one of those is Zephyrus. That's another story for another time. But basically, no one could actually tell which of these five gods involved here were the actual fathers. I personally think it was the winds. I think that's a really cool idea. In some Greek myths, there is usually the rule of three, and they are all named. There are some monsters, much like the three Gorgon sisters, who apparently are the only ones who existed of their kind. And with harpies, it's kind of almost the same. And this I mean in the sense that it was believed that these three harpy sisters, which were the originals, were believed to be the only ones alive at one time. However, it was debated whether there are a whole bunch of harpies, we're just not quite sure. The original three harpy sisters were called Aella, Okipiti, and Selino. These represented the stormy night winds, with Aella meaning storm swift, Octopiti meaning swift wing, and Selino meaning the dark. So very ominous and scary, but these sisters terrorise people around their abode and basically anyone who really deserved punishment. They lived on the island of Strophades, which is a tiny island just off the west coast of Greece, but they also lived in the underworld for half their time. I did mention this earlier, and I mentioned punishment, so now we can kind of really get our teeth into this. I kind of kept you in the dark with the description, but basically, the harpies were delivery girls to hell. Horrifying, terrifying kidnappers from the sky. If you can see where I'm going with this, they were known as the Hounds of Zeus, and they were sent by the gods to retrieve evildoers and bring them to the underworld for the deities known as the Erinyes, or the Furies, as they're otherwise known. Oh, the Erinyes, they are my absolutely favourite deities, other than the Fates from Greek Mythos. They are just amazing. We're going to cover them in another episode because there's so much content, but... They're three sisters, again with the threes, who embody the chthonic idea of vengeance. They are the keepers of Tartarus, which is the deepest depths of hell, 
In Greek mythology, this is where all of the worst people were. And they tortured, and I mean literally that, the most evil souls for all of eternity. The harpies were gifted to them by Zeus to carry the evil dead straight into Tartarus and make their journey as hellish as possible, before they landed in the laps of these three horrifying crones. I won't go too into the Furies, as they're just too good not to do an episode on, but I hope you get the gist. They're the torturers of Greek hell, and the harpies work for them. That's that's the easy short story here. The most famous mention of harpies, though, is not within Tartarus with the Erinyes, but with Jason and the trip on the Argo. However, this story is never about Jason. We don't care about Jason, but it does include him. So just to make things even more confusing as well, there are actually two versions of this myth, at least the beginning of it, so please bear with me. In the first version, it's that Zeus decided to give the gift of prophecy to the king Phineas of Thrace. And with this being an idiot and a member of mankind, he looked into the future of the gods, revealing their plan for mankind going forward. Zeus found this out and was not very happy, so he punished him by blinding Phineas and dumping him with the harpies. Phineas would score the island with his completely eyeless body, trying to find any food with his hands, where there was an absolute abundance on the island, but the harpies would come and snatch it away at the last chance before he could eat it. The other telling of this myth is that there was no gift, but Phineas's wife falsely accused his two sons of rape, and so Phineas blinded them in retribution for their crimes, which kind of makes sense in a Greeky way, but unfortunately his wife was wrong, and so Zeus doesn't deal too well with dads blinding their kids, so for the crime against his sons, Zeus blinded Phineas and plonked him with the harpies in the middle of Thrace. And that's the only difference between the two tellings, but it does make a considerably different story depending on which way you go. It's either a little bit more Oedipus, or not a bit more Oedipus, so I hope you enjoyed both. But anyway, a few years later, Jason turns up on the Argo with his pals, and chases the harpies off, freeing Phineas from his eternal hunger and torment. In return, Phineas told Jason and his crew how to steer through the Simplegades rocks, which were a pair of these rocks on the Bosphorus Strait that would smash together like a Venus flytrap whenever a ship went through, so absolutely condemning anyone who went through it. Phineas told Jason that the way to get through was to measure how quickly they would shut, testing with a dove and then rowing at the same speed. Both the bird and the ship only lost their tail feathers and the stern. And the Simplegades moved no more after that. They do still stand, apparently, in the Bosphorus, so that's just outside of Istanbul, if anyone's wondering in Turkey. Fun story though, right? The Harpies then flew back to their cave in Crete, and were only ever mentioned again in one other myth, which is quite a quick one. And that's the story of how the Trojans decided to settle on the Strophades, which, if you remember, is where the Harpies live. And when they went to feast, the Trojans that is, the Harpies stole their food, and Selino, the dark Harpy, tells them that they would be so hungry they would eat their tables before they reached the end of their journey. And the Trojans, you know, just being normal blokes, sailed away in fear. Lastly, we can look at them in literature for a brilliant use of Harpies, 
We can see them in Dante's Inferno, where they reside in the seventh ring of hell, torturing those who committed suicide, as that was considered a crime, very sinful. And here's an extract, because this extract is just so good. Here the repellent harpies make their nests, who drove the Trojans from the Strophades with the dire announcements of the coming woe. They have broad wings with razor-sharp talons and a human neck and face. Clawed feet and swollen, feathered bellies, they call their lamentations in the eerie trees. Another favourite, Shakespeare, or Willie Shakes as I like to call him, uses harpies in two of his plays. Most famously, they're in The Tempest, when the sprite Ariel disguises themselves as a harpy to scare the drunkards from the beach. Another is Much Ado About Nothing, which is my favourite Shakespeare play of all time, and the first use of harpy as an offensive term towards women. The character Benedict sees his ex-girlfriend Beatrice approaching and shouts that he would do an assortment of arduous tasks rather than hold three words conference with this harpy. This insult towards women has generally stuck around till the 21st century, unfortunately, indicating that they are nasty or shrill. It's what you'd say to someone who was being particularly awful that day. Moving swiftly on from older insults, the only real-life comparison to harpies could potentially be a very large eagle, which are large enough to pick up people. We've got mythical birds as well, such as the rock, the thunderbird, all of these kind of ones that could have potentially picked up people as well. However, the chances of that are pretty slim. There certainly are eagles in Greece though, and the harpy eagle was named after them when they were officially discovered in 1758. They are absolutely gorgeous birds. You'll probably recognise them, they've got the cute little ear feathers that go up. They're very distinctive eagles, but they were named specifically after the harpies from Greek myth, so that's a really cool one. They can have a wingspan up to seven and a half feet, which is bloody massive, so they could totally eat a person, let alone carry one. If we're thinking of harpies, not the harpy eagle here. We're going to move on to cultural significance for this week, and we actually have quite a lot. The only one actually we're missing a few is in movies. Everything else is chock full this week. So for art, you can actually see these in a load of paintings, such as The Harpies in the Infernal Wood by Gustave Doré from 1861, Ulysses Andravandi's Harpy from 1642, Phineas and the Borads by Bernard Picard from 1731, Landscape with the Expulsion of the Harpies by Paolo Femingo from 1590, The Persecution of the Harpies by Erasmus Quellinus from 1636, and lastly, most relevantly, is Edvard Munch's 1894 painting Harpy. Right, so for movies this week, we are a bit more limited, I'm afraid. We have films such as Clash of the Titans, Jason and the Argonauts, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Spirited Away, Hercules, The Last Unicorn and My Little Pony the Movie. But for TV in contrast, we have absolutely loads. Seriously, buckle in. We have Yu-Gi-Oh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, Fairy Tale, One Piece, Monster Museum, The Adventures of Sinbad, Charmed, Hercules the Animated Series, Hercules the Legendary Journeys and Xena Warrior Princess, Jason the Argonauts, Aladdin the series, DuckTale, Hellboy, She-Ra, Princess of Power, Ultraman Diner, 
Power Rangers Mystic Force and most recently The Owl House. Also, just a one-off mention here is that literally 20 minutes before I record this, if you're in the UK, BBC One have done a show with the fantastic Stephen Fry presenting, but it's called Fantastic Beasts A History. Obviously, there's a lot of Harry Potter connotations. However, he goes over some really amazing monsters like dragons, unicorns, Loch Ness, all of this kind of stuff in a real life context, kind of like we do with our animal comparison towards the end of the podcast. And it's set in the Natural History Museum in London. So if you've not been, it's an amazing chance to have a look at what it looks like in there. So honestly, I'd really have a look if you're into your mythical beasts and you're in the UK or you can get BBC programmes where you are. But anyway, we're going on to video games where it's kind of the same. We've got quite a few. So we've got Dragon's Dogma, Gothic, EverQuest, Hades, Breath of Fire 2, Dark Souls, Castlevania, Elder Scrolls, God of War, Golden Sun, Persona 4, Immortals, Phoenix Rising, Smite, Pokemon, Pyre, World of Warcraft, Diablo, Warcraft, Metopia, Guild Wars, Terraria, Total War, The Witcher 2 and 3, and lastly, Titan Quest. Lastly, though, my book recommendation this week is Greek Myths Meet the Heroes, Gods and Monsters of Ancient Greece by our much-recommended Jean Menzies. Again, it's a brilliant book. Her series on mythology is highly recommended by me. Another one from me is a book just called Greek Mythology by Katrina Servi, which I had the pleasure of picking up when I went to Athens in 2019 at the History Museum. If it's sold there... It says it's really worth a read, and I can confirm this. Now it's time for Do I Think They Existed? Probably not, I'm afraid. I do not think there are a bunch of half-women, half-birds flying around at the moment. The only thing I can possibly link this to is misidentification. But harpy eagles were not discovered or named until after these myths existed. But who can say if they actually existed beforehand? We can never tell. As much as I really love the idea of these fierce ladies being the instruments of the Furies' punishments, as I'm a massive fan of the Erinyes, and all they stand for, to be honest, I think they're really cool characters, the idea that they were gifted to them to just torture people is a pretty cool idea, but it's also quite ridiculous. Harpies are one of my more childhood-adored monsters for me. I remember being obsessed with Yu-Gi-Oh! as a kid, and the character Mai had a full harpy deck, and there were the Harpy Sisters, Harpy's Dragons, and it was absolutely amazing. She was so badass, and I think it's so important to have badass female characters in kids' media. And these Harpies were terrifyingly powerful, with their thorny whips and their pet dragons and their feather dusters. Honestly, they were the best. Also, as they're all female and it's now such an insult to be called a Harpy, I believe as women we should totally retake the word. I'm down for being called that. They're bloody cool. It's like being called a dragon. They took no prisoners at all, so let's embrace it, ladies. Let's go for it. (sighs) I do love a Greek monster, I do. Harpies are really one of my favourite Greek monsters, and I know I say that about everything, but this is one that's really stuck in my head since I was a child. I really love the mixed-up monster mash. I just think they're so much more interesting than just normal monsters but I always miss doing Greek ones when we're not covering them, but hey, we can't just do a Greek myth podcast. That would be unfair and really boring. 
and other monsters are all just as interesting and that is my prerogative here on this podcast. So we are taking a two week break from next week as it's my 27th birthday on the 16th of March so I'll be celebrating this and taking a nice little break before our one year anniversary on the 25th. Can you believe that we've been a year in podcasting? Thank you so much for listening. When we come back though, we're heading back over to Scandinavia for a long time for the fearsome Valkyries of Norse myth. Prepare for the most honourable battle on the 24th of March. For now though, thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating on the service you're listening on. I've got the Twitter for any questions or suggestions on what monsters to cover next and I'd really love to hear from you. The social media handles for TikTok, YouTube and Instagram are Myth Monsters Podcast and the Twitter is Myth Monsters Pod. But all of our content can always be found at mythmonsters.co.uk and you can also find us on Good Pods and any other streaming services you like. And we also have the Patreon if you want to help me fund the podcast, if you feel like it, if you love it. Come join the fun, share this with your pals. They might love me as much as you do. But for now, stay spooky and I'll see you in two weeks, babes.